Right now in traditional and modern worship, our pastors are focusing on unexpected acts. The Gospel of Luke concludes where acts begins, and the unexpected acts of changed lives in growing churches mentioned therein are inspirited by the unexpected acts of the resurrected Christ. Our pastor's sermons note the prequels and sequels, the befores and afters of the lives and events captured throughout this book. The scripture reading that Miss Savannah just referenced can be found in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them secure. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening to them. But suddenly there was an earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer saw the doors wide open, he drew his sword to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer, rushing in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved. Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all in his house. At that same hour of the night, he washed their wounds. Then he and his whole family were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set food before them. He and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've heard a bit about uh, the adventures of Paul and Silas part of what was called the second missionary journey. Here is Rembrandt's uh, depiction of Paul in prison. Uh, We know fairly well that Paul was imprisoned at least three times. And uh, here's how that particular great art master uh, pictured it. I wanna ask you a question. Uh, When you were growing up, you adult types, and maybe you were a teen and you were getting ready to uh, go somewhere on your own. Did you ever have your parents say to you, and maybe this was more a boy thing than a girl thing, but they would say, now be careful and stay out of trouble. Don't get in trouble. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but okay, you did. Uh, did it work? We're not going to have a show of hands on that. Alabama-born John Lewis served as a U.S. congressman for 13 years from Georgia. As a young man, he was a ministerial student, a a seminarian in in Nashville. And he was a part of many of the great efforts and the, the protests and the demonstrations to overcome segregation, to, uh, be a, a, an agent for voting rights to be extended to all people and, and fair uh, treatment to all people regardless of skin cover. 
And uh, in the course of that, if you know something about his life, he had his head uh, repeatedly cracked. Uh, bus station, Birmingham, Montgomery, Bridge, and Selma. He uh, did a good bit of time in jails. Always promoting nonviolence. Perhaps the most uh, memorable of his quotations were, never be afraid to make some good trouble. And in his day, in his way, uh, some did not think that was good trouble, but we know now it really was. During World War II, some of you know the story of the, the German uh, pastor, theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a person of, of, of peace and nonviolence, but things became so uh, horrendous that Bonhoeffer joined along with some others to, in a plot to overthrow Adolf Hitler, and it was unsuccessful. And so uh, the young pastor spends the last year and a half of his life in Nazi jails. And just literally days before uh, the American Allied troops came through that part of Germany and liberated uh, everyone, in, in, even those in that jail in Flossenburg, uh, just a day or a few before the young 39-year-old pastor was executed. Now, there uh, were collected uh, this, these marvelous letters and papers from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's writings, sermons, uh, letters, poems, reflections from prison. And in one of those uh, letters, he writes this, There remains for us only the narrow way, often difficult to find, of living every day as if it were our last, yet living in faith that our future is eternal. Bonhoeffer, John Lewis, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, and long before them, the Apostle Paul, and supremely uh, in perhaps a qualitatively different way, Jesus had the love and the courage to make good trouble. It landed them inside jail or worse. They made our lives on the outside better. In the case of the trouble of Jesus' cross made our lives eternally better. You heard part of the story this morning. What led up to Paul and Silas being thrown in the uh, jail in Philippi, which was uh, the first place that the, the missionaries went in the European continent from previously the missionary journeys were in, in Asia. Uh, what happened, Paul and Silas got in what we look at now as good trouble. Uh, there was a young slave woman who they said had a, had a spirit. Uh, 
In our day, we might say she had a mental disturbance. But somehow in her babbling, her slave owners sold her, uh, what she said, as fortune-telling. And apparently it become quite profitable. Uh, Paul and Silas, in the, in, in the name and the love of God, uh, exercise that uh, not good spirit. They restore her uh, health, her mental health, uh, and she's, she's freed of that disturbance. Uh, the owners are enraged because they have infringed upon their business and commerce in Philippi. And so they have them drugged before the city uh, officials and say, these Jews are messing things up. Anti-Semitism has been around a long time. And so as a reward for the good trouble of restoring this young woman's life, uh, they're beaten and they're chained and they're thrown into the jail in Philippi. Surely physically hurting, uh, surely a bit scared. Uh, have you ever been just shut up scared? Just so scared you can't make any? But they weren't. Strangely, in the middle of the night, in the jail, not knowing what was going to happen the next day, Paul and Silas start praying and singing out loud. Uh, their voices cheer the other prisoners and spook uh, the jailer. When an earthquake throws open uh, the cell doors, uh, the jailer pulls out his sword to take his own life because he just assumes that all the prisoners had, had run away. And Paul calls out, don't do it. We're all here. And out of that amazing staying, when they could have left, uh, they lead the jailer. And not only the jailer, but his whole family to be followers of Jesus, who immediately, as they have been ministered to by God's love, return by ministering to Silas and Paul, who had wounds from their jailing. Well, how, how far can we go with this? But I just want to ask a couple of questions at this point. Has, every, has anyone ever stayed with you, stuck with you, when they had every good reason to leave? Did not give up. Another chance, a teacher, a family member, a friend, an employer. By God's grace, and it's all grace when this happens, have you ever been in a situation where you stayed when you could have left? To somehow do what needed to be done, although it might not be that easy. All these stories uh, that we hear of these people is in their own way, they wound up uh, in jail for making good trouble, but they didn't have to do that. They did not have to put their lives in their, on the line and stick their, their necks out. Uh, it's hard to uh, fathom. Even times when we don't know, people have gone second and third miles for us, and we weren't even aware of it. Well, moving on, there is another person who was quite active 
in the, the, the rights, civil rights movement of the 1960s. It may not be as famous as Martin Luther King or John Lewis, but there's books about her. Her name was Fanny Lou Hamer. She was a uh, Christian uh, activist in Mississippi uh, who, with others, worked hard to help people have voting rights. And if you've read or lived through those times, you know, uh, in places like Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia and other places, it was hard. It was dangerous for people of color to try to even vote. And sometime in 1963, in her home county of Montgomery County, Mississippi, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer and some of her friends who had been trying to sign up people to to be able to register to vote, and that was considered causing trouble. They're thrown in the, the jail, the county jail. And when they're in there, they are roughed up by the jailers. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer had injuries uh, that had consequences the rest of her life. And so uh, in there, scared, probably shut up scared, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, this person of Christian faith, started singing. And she combined two gospel folk songs. Do you know, the, do you know uh, go down Moses, tell old Pharaoh, let my people go? Uh, there's another one, uh, Paul and Silas, uh, bound up in jail all night long. Well, Fannie Lou Hamer combined that and she began to loudly sing and the others joined her Paul and Silas bound up in jail let my people go Paul and Silas bound up in jail let my people go hopefully she's sounding better than that but there's something about singing in a scary night that God can praying in a scary night that God can use as a way a means to get courage to us that we don't have on our own. Well, with due, due distinction from real uh, barred jails, I do want to ask this question. Don't many of us lock up, imprison ourselves in our own little personal jails? I've got a list of some things and Maybe this uh, connects with you or maybe not, but some of them do for me. Uh, well, here, here's some cells that we usually uh, self-inflict. Anger. Just a, an angry attitude because things haven't gone the way we had hoped. And, and sometimes there's anger that we rightly have. Uh, resentment. Uh, I haven't sold for what I'm worth. Fear. I mean, we can just get scared of all kinds of stuff. Anxiety. Uh, they say that at least one out of five in America today have this thing called GAD, General Anxiety Disorder. It's hard to make it connect to anything. It's just a kind of a general anxiety. Uh, I've got that some days. Uh, addictions. Ever seen anybody or yourself kind of get locked in your self-pity? 
our prejudices where we just, we just can't see good in some people because we've already sort of prejudged them. Oh, here's a good one. Ever lived in, in your jail cell of guilt? Uh, sometimes I think we even sort of put ourselves in, in little jail cells of chips on the shoulder. Snarky attitudes. You know anybody with a snarky attitude? Has anyone ever loved you enough to say, you know, you have a snarky attitude right now? I don't know if I've gotten your own personal little jail cell, but maybe you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Sometimes preachers will tell you stuff, you know, several hundred people that you won't tell one person. And so from time to time, I have what I call uh, the night heebie-jeebies. I, I don't think you can look it up in the dictionary. But, and sometimes I call it the um, 4 a.m. hoot-owl, wide-eyed, wake-up. Another guy today said, well, I, I do that about 3 a.m. You just wake up. You're scared. Maybe you've had a scared, scary uh, dream. You don't even know what the dream was. You just wake up scared. Or you wake up and you're just nothing there to distract you. You can't sort of put things aside. And whatever it is that's eating on you or bothering you, it just looms and glooms and it zooms. And and, and there, you know, in my experience, I'm there on my side of the the queen-size bed. And that's kind of my little cell there for a while as I just sort of... uh, struggle with what I'm, oh, what have I got to get done? What I've left undone? And then sometimes the regrets start popping up. The regrets for things I did or missed a chance to do two days ago or two years ago or 20 years ago. And then you start sort of thinking about the people you love and how you worry about them. And you start thinking about the things you're worried about yourself and you worry about the world. And my gosh, from Ukraine to Uvalde, there's, there's things. And, and there's, it's a kind of a little in the night, heebie-jeebie, night fears. Now, I, I guess I could like uh, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer and Paul and Silas, I could just start crying and, and singing and praying loud in the night. But that would complicate things with Diane and the dog nearby. And so I've, I've sort of learned, and it's, it's not perfect, but I've learned, just lie there, take some deep breaths. Remember that you've been through tough stuff before, and you've, you've gotten through it. Take some time to really do some blessing counting and some, some thank yous for that. Uh, consider uh, the ways that if you... Uh, did not fret as much about yourself that you might be freer to be a more good to other people around you. And then it begins to get a little better. And then, uh, and then there, there comes God's grace an hour or so later, uh, the, the, the grace of um, coffee and some early morning reading and, and reflecting and then all of a sudden, I, I, I see uh, the, the waked-up face of, of my, my favorite girl and my favorite dog. And there might be a little bit of hugging that goes on. 
And suddenly I realized that God has a way of, of stabilizing our spiritual gyroscope and get through the heebie-jeebies and on to uh, the gift of another day. Well, uh, that's how I try to manage with God's help, my heebie-jeebies. Uh, blessings to you if you have them. Uh, lucky you if you don't. <laughs> uh, final sort of area, have, have you along the way in, in your life ever been in jail, uh, prison? I mean, not necessarily as an inmate, but maybe, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but maybe visiting. Uh, several years ago, for several years, there was a group of us who did a Friday morning Bible study at the, the Donaldson Maximum uh, Correction Protection Facility, the prison in Bessemer, uh, over a thousand people there. And uh, for sure, uh, there, there were some tough customers there. Um, there were some people that I got to know that made me think about that little prayer there, but for the grace of God, go you, go I. Uh, that dates back to a man named John Bradford like 500 years ago in England. He saw this group of people being taken off to be executed. And he said, there, but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. Circumstances could be different. Uh, well, it, it's hot there in the summer. It's cold there in the winter. Uh, it's either bright lights or no lights, um, crowding. I, I looked all around there to find, you know, prisoners being coddled. I just, I, did, I didn't find that. And I remember uh, this poignant conversation one day with this man, an older guy, an older black man, uh, wrinkled, um, been there over 30 years. I, I'd found out that he was not there for a violent crime, and yet he'd, somehow he'd been there. And we were talking one day, and I said, John, how do you take it? And he said, well, Reverend, they can put bars on the windows, and they can put locks on the doors, but they can't lock out Jesus. Now, at that moment, it hit me. If I, an outsider who showed up there an hour or two every now and then, said to this man, Oh, John, they can't put, keep Jesus out, that would have been terrifically disrespectful. But when this man lived that kind of life, said to me, You know, they, you can't lock Jesus out. Here I am with a handful of little personal cells that I have created for myself. It, you know, it almost puts me on my knees right now. So I, I, I want to close with a couple, of, a couple of questions or a couple of observations. Uh, the first one is this. If we let Jesus in our self-imposed jails by prayer, through worship. What difference might we make in our world? People close to us, maybe things going on in our community. Would we be more willing to risk making some good trouble 
to help others if we did not do so much fretting about ourselves? I would. And finally, what I'd like to say, and, and, I, and I ask for your patience and listen to, listen to this. It's a super edgy matter. It's about the Second Amendment. My sense and my understanding and my affirmation of that is that the spirit of the Second Amendment is our right to defend ourselves, our right to protect people we love, our right to protect, for God's sake, our children. And so there is uh, something called the spirit of a law, uh, the overall thing it's trying to do. I, I really don't know anybody, there may be, that's against the spirit of the right to defend oneself, to protect those you love and protect your children. There comes times in the life of a democracy when the spirit of that law is better served as laws are extended, changed, modified. And you can listen to the news and there's all kinds of itemization, how that might happen. I'm not here to talk about this or that. What I'm here to say today in the true spirit of this Second Amendment to defend ourselves, protect people we love, protect our children. Let us pray that people on both sides, at least enough on both sides to have sort of a critical uh, group that can make a difference, that they, uh, that they would be willing to have the courage to make some good trouble to gather, find the next steps in the ways that we can honor this great right and yet extend it and apply it in a way that protects our children. That's easier said than done, I know. Pray for God's grace to work through fallible human beings like you and me and our leaders. Amen.